Hello there, Michelle Rado here with a special bonus episode of Daring to Tell, the podcast where writers read their true stories of personal daring. You may have noticed that I have been on hiatus for a while as I am now currently working on my second season for you. And one of the writers I've spoken with is writing about something so timely, I just cannot not share it with you. A former colleague of mine, his name is Chris Wolf, worked with the BBC for a public radio international news show called The World for many years. Before that, back in 1991, he traveled from his home then in London to visit a friend of his who was the BBC's foreign correspondent in Kabul, Afghanistan, in an effort to see if he might be interested in pursuing the position of a war reporter. He had been in the British Territorial Army, which is Britain's version of the U.S. National Guard. He was a huge history and war buff, and he was building a career at the BBC as a journalist. So his soon-to-be-released book about his travels is called Bumbling Through the Hindu Kush, a memoir of fear and kindness in Afghanistan. It is a page-turner and an eye-opener. I got to read an advanced copy of it just last month, and at this particular moment in time, mid-August 2021, the Taliban has just taken over Afghanistan's capital city. It seemed like such an appropriate moment to share a bit of that conversation with you, and if you're even just a little bit like me, you want to know more about these pivotal global events when they're unfolding, but might not have as much background about what that region was like. In the part of our conversation that I will share with you today, you can get a little glimpse of that background and hear Chris set the scene for his time there, which he does in such a real and accessible way. Here is a person who has been there and wants to tell us about it. What was some of that deeper history in Afghanistan? It was a time before 9-11 and before the Taliban when it was the Soviet Union in its waning days as the occupying force. So here is a little bit of my conversation with Chris Wolf discussing his 1991 visit to Afghanistan, describing a bit of the geographical landscape he found himself bumbling through. I wonder if you might just want to describe this, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, but the Selang Tunnel? Perfect, yes. So Afghanistan is pretty much bisected into two main regions, north and south, by the Hindu Kush mountains, which are, in a sense, eponymous with the, the name of Afghanistan because they dominate the country so much. Mm -hmm. And these are a brutal, rugged extension of the Himalaya, rising to like 20,000 feet. And there is only one real road through the Hindu Kush, and that runs along the Salang Valley up to the Salang Pass. And the Soviets built a tunnel to try and make life a little bit easier and so they could keep going even in all but the most adverse weather. And that was where we were heading to try and get to the north of Afghanistan in our little humanitarian aid convoy. Right. Can you just 
give us a quick overview in terms of who were the the warring factions involved. There were government forces and Mujahideen, which again, in a post 9-11 world, sometimes mean different things. So maybe who's who? So the government was still the government of Najibullah, the communist installed secret policeman who was the successor to the Soviet occupation. He was um, a product of the Soviet invasion. So basically like the Soviet-backed Afghan... The Soviet-installed government right. was still in power and had, unlike, unfortunately, uh, the current government, done surprisingly well in holding off the Islamic rebels, mm -hmm. the Mujahideen, the Holy Warriors, okay. uh, for three years by the time I got there. And people were surprised how well they had done. And it was largely because the Soviets had kept giving them money and aid and weapons and a free hand to make alliances with whatever local warlords they might be able to win over. Mm -hmm. So we had just passed through a formal defensive line on the Shamali Plain just before the Selang Valley starts. And then we were, had driven through no man's land for a little bit. And then we were just coming up into the valley at the start of this 100-mile pass. And that's where the chapter begins. And then, so the Mujahideen are the rebels, as described. Correct. Okay. And then... And not like, unlike, well, in some ways, like the Taliban, um, they're not a, like a monolithic force. They're a disparate group of different peoples and different personalities who are together collectively fighting the communist intrusion and sometimes fighting right. each other as well. Yeah, yeah. What did you learn about taking pictures there's a reference to a camera <laughs> well the first time we run into like a formal defensive position i thought oh this is interesting i'll take a picture and the the much more experienced guys that i was with said like put that away you know you're you can't photograph actual military positions that's the technical <laughs> definition of spying you know recording what a military position looks like and where it's located because if the other side gets hold of your pictures they all be able to locate weaknesses and mm -hmm. in that position and you know specific locations which could be deadly for the for the people you're photographing so on that basis you could be summarily executed as a spy if right. you know all, all the wrong circumstances occurred so it was like oh okay i guess we're going to have to be a little bit more discreet about taking snaps and thus uh, so. the bumbling aspect of your <laughs> Oh, Adventure. very much so. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I, well, it's just funny because, you know, I, I saw myself as this, you know, military man, self-reliant, resilient, mm -hmm. uh, capable, you know, physically fit right. and able to take on all the challenges of, of a war zone and really had no idea what I was getting into and what you really need to be on the lookout for and what you really need to be doing and what you unfortunately are going to see. That was a setup to the section that he's going to read from when I release the full episode of Bumbling Through the Hindu Kush in November. After he read from that chapter, I dared to ask him his own predictions on the contemporary situation in Afghanistan as it stood on the day that we spoke, which was August 11th, 2021, only about four days before the Taliban did indeed take over the capital city of Kabul. Do you it's have any insights as to what the long game is here? The long term is... It's quite positive in my mind, believe it or not. 
hmm. because everyone agrees that most Afghans hate the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people have rallied to their support because they're resisting foreign occupation, which, you know, any person might do in whatever country, whatever circumstance you live in. So once that's gone, that's going to knock a dent in the Taliban support. The Taliban is not united. Uh, they're as much of a coalition and mosaic of hmm. local interests in addition to their central core. Right. And they have ISIS fighting them on their other extreme because they're not extreme enough. And wow. so it's so given that, you know, inherent weakness of any central government in Afghanistan and assuming the Taliban do take over. Right. But given the underlying politics of the country and yeah. that they are kind of an alien Saudi Pakistani creation uh-huh. ideologically. Yeah. Um, there's a good chance that the Afghans will one day get back to a normal sense of life, which may include something, some part of the Taliban in some way, but in the short to medium term. So it's even very, with the Taliban in control. Yeah, it's like it's like the, the, the communist re- regime. I don't think it could last in the Soviet Union forever. Huh, right. Um, they could well seize power, but I don't think they'll could last. I would pluck like five to 15 year kind of time frame for their survivability. Mm hmm. You know, inshallah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. There's so many good Muslims in Afghanistan, people of faith, who just are revolted by the way they approach life. Chris Wolf's book, Bumbling Through the Hindu Kush, a memoir of fear and kindness in Afghanistan, comes out in October. Daring to Tell's Season 2 will kick off in November with this episode. If you want to discover more about the book, Chris has a YouTube channel. You can find him there as well as on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn with the hashtag BumblingBook. Chris Wolf spells his last name with two O's. And you might also want to know that he is donating 10% of the sales from the book to help Afghan children with disabilities, as well as an organization called the Halo Trust that plays a role in Chris's story. Uh, That organization clears landmines from around the world. Thanks so much for listening to this little check-in, and I hope you'll join me in the late fall for season two of Daring to Tell. 